seems as if not a day goes by without a new headline on the rising cost of college and the strain that cost is placing on students and families. And for good reason. The average net price to attend a public four-year college, including room and board, has increased by 50% since 1998, reaching nearly $60,000 in 2018. One contributor to this trend has been a decline in state support for higher education. Since 1987, the typical student at a public college has seen the subsidy for her education drop by more than $2,300 a year, or roughly one quarter. But what explains that decline in state support? Where have states shifted their spending? And could the key to college affordability be containing the cost of health care? I'm Marty West, editor of Education Next, and joining me today to discuss trends in state funding for higher education is Doug Weber. Doug's an associate professor of economics at Temple University and the author of the new article, Higher Ed, Lower Spending, which will appear in the summer 2018 issue of the journal and is available now at educationnext.org. Doug, welcome to the EdNext podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with the numbers. How has state spending per student enrolled in higher education changed over the past three decades? So uh, the the typical trend is that states, you know, during a recession, uh, states kind of pull back on uh, support for higher ed because it's it's an easy place to cut money because much of the uh, you know, the, the logic for an investment in higher education is more of a long-term investment. Um, and so, you know, when you need short-term funds, this is, you know, a, a pretty logical place uh, for, you know, for state legislatures to, to look for places to cut. Uh, we're talking about, you know, on the order of a 25% drop in, you know, over this, uh, you know, over the past 30 years in, uh, um, in support for higher ed. So, you know, maybe we're talking about, you know, from almost 10,000, you know, per student uh, to, you know, in the, the mid-7,000, uh, you know, dollars per student, uh, you know, currently. Now, there's lots of variation across states in this that, you know, some states have pulled back, you know, much more significantly on funding. Some states have, you know, have, have not really seen uh, big declines. And that's one of the things that really complicates this whole story is that there's uh, – one, one theme you'll be hearing from me uh, quite a bit today is there's really 50 different uh, uh, answers to this uh, – uh, to this all, all these questions. But I think there's still value in trying to look at what's going on nationally as well. And that's what I appreciate about your article is that it gives us a sense of both. Um, so uh, going back to the, the trends in spending overall, uh, you were talking there about spending per student enrolled in higher education. A decline in that figure doesn't necessarily mean that states are spending less overall on higher education, right? That's absolutely right. It is a really important part of, of this picture that uh, while, while there have been periods where states have, you know, uh, reduced their, their spending overall, uh, if you look over 30 years, uh, states are actually spending more. They're spending, I think it's, you know, 10 to 12 percent more, something like that, uh, in aggregate. The problem is that uh, there are way more students that are, you know, that are in public higher education now than 30 years ago. And so, uh, you know, school
schools are you know, effectively being asked to do uh, you know, the same, or in, in some cases you could say that schools are being asked to do more with less support per student. Now, I think it's really important to, to think about kind of the, the nature of costs in, uh, in higher education. Because uh, you know what a lot of people would say, you know, when I when I say that the, the overall spending has increased, but that per student spending has has gone down, they say, well, aren't there economies of scale in higher ed? Uh, in other words, uh, that you know uh, it is it is cheaper to uh, you know once you already have you know a, a functioning university that you know the cost of uh, you know adding more students you know isn't that going down um, and the problem with that is at what the my read of this you know this you know large literature on uh, you know the, the cost structure of, of higher ed some of which I've written on uh, is that there are big economies of scale for small schools, particularly when you're talking about like you know the small privates. You're talking you know schools that are 500, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 students. Um, there are significant economies of scale, and it is it is absolutely cheaper to educate the 3,000 student than it is the 2,000 student uh, because uh, you know because you're getting more efficient, but. By, by the time you get to the size of most publics, and most most publics are very, very big schools, uh, and by the time you get to the size of those publics, you, the economies of scale are, are exhausted, uh, and that you know, the, uh, you know, you're really in a, a constant returns to scale uh, world where you know, the, the cost of educating the 25,000 student is, is not appreciably different from educating the 30,000 students. That's why you know, I think it's, it's more useful you know, when you're talking about you know, publics of, these, of this size, it's more useful to think about uh, you know, things in a, a per-student uh, basis. So the bottom line is that at least from the perspective of schools and the students they serve, you know, what really matters is the subsidy that they're getting per student enrolled rather than what the state is spending in the aggregate. Yes, and, uh, and that's, that's absolutely true. Uh, but I do think that it's, it's also something that schools do need to remember for in, in a political context that um, what, uh, even though for them, what matters is the per student spending, what what legislatures care more about is the the total amount of money that they're spending, um, and so I, I do think that there's this disconnect can also, can often you know, cause cause some problems because you know schools say well we're not getting as much money and in a sense they're right, um, but then legislatures can also in a in a correct sense say no we're getting you more money. Um, and so I think this, uh, you know, this nuance is important, but it really does cause some people to kind of talk past each other. Now, the focus of your article is to put the trends we were just talking about in state support for higher education in the context of state spending on other areas. So 
States have increased the level of resources they devote to various other categories of government spending, especially K-12 education and another category you refer to as public welfare. So tell us a little bit about these trends in other areas of state spending. Sure. So uh, K-12 education spending has uh, has gone up considerably, you know, over the past 30 years. And my data covered the past 30 years, but it's also gone up considerably over the past 40, 50, 60, uh, 70 years. You know, this is, this is not a new trend. Uh, states are spending more money uh, in aggregate, uh, both, I should say, both in aggregate and on a, uh, uh, on a per student basis, uh, you know, on, uh, on K-12 resources. To, to kind of preview my results, I don't really find that there's much of a substitution between K-12 spending and, and higher ed. And this, this kind of makes sense, that when states are, spend more money on um, higher ed, it's probably saying something about those states' priorities, and they're also spending more money, um, you know, on on K-12 uh, you know, type expenditures. But public welfare, this is uh, this is something different. So this is think very broadly. Like Medicaid spending is primarily done at the state level, although there's a, there is a complicated federal partnership with Medicaid, which I get into a little bit in the article. Um, but things, um, you know, things like, you know, some, some types of food stamp expenditures, supplemental security income, uh, the, the uh, temporary aid to needy families, uh, which, you know, is more, uh, which is sometimes just referred to as, as welfare. You know, much of this, t- these types of Spending are, uh, you know, are funded at the state level. Again, you know, some, some of them have uh, federal partnerships where there, there's some cost sharing, but um, these expenditures have grow, grown considerably over the past 30 years. Uh, the average state has tripled its public welfare spending, uh, and what, one of the big things in, in my article is that I don't. I don't want to take any position on what the right level of spending is. This is, to me, this is all about uh, just kind of describing trends and saying this is what we're doing, uh, but not really saying this is what we should be doing. All right, so those are the big changes in terms of national trends, but what you do in the article is actually look at this topic on a state-by-state basis, right? Or actually looking across all 50 states at once and trying to figure out uh, what is the relationship between increases in spending on the categories we just discussed, as well as a host of others, and changes in the amount states are investing in higher education. So what are the big takeaways from that analysis? So the big takeaway is that, on average, uh, when a state reduced spending on higher education, that state also tended to increase spending on public welfare. So uh, it's, you know, you made a very important point that looking at this on a state-by-state basis is a much better way than looking strictly at the national trends. Because if you just looked at the national trends, you would think, oh, well, K-12 spending has to be uh, also a big driver of this decline 
decline in uh, per student higher ed expenditures. Uh, but you know, but that that's not true at all. That K um, twelve expenditures in higher ed expenditures tend to be positively related to each other. But it's this public welfare spending that, uh, again, on average, uh, but seems to be what states are really substituting between. And you know, this this is. You know, this makes things really complicated from a, uh, you know, from a, uh, let's say, a, the perspective of someone who, you know, is a, a big advocate for, uh, you know, more spending on higher education. Just politically speaking, that type of person is also likely to be an advocate for more public welfare type spending. Um, and so, you know, the the fact that these two, that you know, states seem to be. Uh, you know, often substituting between these two things, it it complicates the argument that oh, well, we should be, uh, you know, you you shouldn't have reduced uh, this this you know higher ed expenditure because that money is going to you know a a very worthy cause. So just to be a bit more specific about some of the figures that you report in the article, uh, you find that at least in sort of your preferred model for analyzing the data, that increases in public welfare spending can account for a bit more than half of the decline in higher education spending. The next largest contributor is health care and hospitals, another 23%, then 13% police and fire protection, increased spending on those services, and then the rest comprising sort of a host of other categories. What's interesting about the top two categories, public welfare and health and hospitals, is that both of them, you report, are made up to a large degree by the Medicaid program. So, you know, is this really a story about health care costs specifically putting pressure on higher education budgets? I think it is. Um, and I want to emphasize that you know, this this type of analysis, it's really difficult to get, you know, precise answers for 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 anything. One reason is because, it, as I said before, there really are 50 different answers, uh, you know, that are uh, 50 different explanations for, you know, how uh, you know how states have substituted away from uh, higher ed spending, but. Even more than that, just dealing with aggregate state-level data on these these types of uh, expenditures, it there's a lot of different ways that you can define things. And when you're looking at aggregate relationships, there's always going to be just naturally a lot that's kind of hit in the weeds. Uh, so I want to, you know, I, I, I do want to make that clear uh, with with respect to you know finding that. That uh, most of this is, is probably explained by Medicaid. Uh, the public welfare, most of the increase in public welfare spending, has been because of uh, states, you know, on average, greatly expanding the generosity of Medicaid. Of Medicaid. Uh, but Medicaid spending also falls into this, you know, uh, this other category: health and hospitals and. Uh, it's, it's really a quirk of the data. At, you know, 
some types of Medicaid spending appear in public welfare, in the public welfare category. Other types of Medicaid spending appear in this health and hospitals area. Uh, but the, the overall message from all of the analyses uh, is that uh, the, this, this spending on you know, public welfare and most likely specifically on Medicaid is the dominant reason for uh, the dominant place that the, you know, the higher ed spending has actually gone um, over the past few decades. And, you know, like I said, you know, this is, um, this is, you know, this complicates things from a public policy perspective that a lot of the same people who uh, kind of like higher ed spending also, you know, like Medicaid spending. I think it's, you know, a, a, a very, important, so, you know, socially uh, uh, important area, but also it complicates things going forward because healthcare spending is going up over time. Spending on Medicaid has been, uh, you know, a, a bigger and bigger part of public expenditures. And uh, there's, you know, right now no real signs of, of any slowdown in that. And so, you know, this, this kind of underscores the importance of, uh, of finding some ways to control costs in the healthcare sector. It's, it's not only important to the healthcare sector to figure out, you know, how do we how do we control health costs? Um, how do we control healthcare costs? But it's also important to higher education that you know, finding solutions. To you know, bringing down costs in healthcare is vital to the you know the future of uh, of public higher education. I think I was also interested by a couple of factors that turned out not to play much of a story. One was the one you already mentioned, K twelve education, which may be explained by the fact that the states that are inclined to spend more on K twelve also are inclined to spend more on higher education. The other category that didn't jump out as a major part of the story was corrections, right? Uh, prisons um, spending. Oftentimes, people sort of pit those against one another, at least rhetorically, saying we should be spending more on education rather than incarceration. But that yep. doesn't seem to have been a real trade-off that states have experienced over the past three decades. No, and, and, and I was a little bit surprised, just, just as you said, just because of kind of the uh, rhetorical use of of you know prison spending versus uh, versus you know higher ed spending, you you see that comparison quite a bit. I didn't find any, uh, you know, I I didn't find any relationship. Now, I'm sure that there are, that you can find some state uh, that that did make that trade off. Uh, you could find an example of just about anything, and you know, in the in the same way that, um, well, I did not find, on average, that uh, you know something like you know, government revenue, that you know tax cuts, that on average, the the money from uh, from that used to be spent on higher ed, it it didn't leave because of uh, of people getting a tax cut, but I'm also certain that if you were to you know be able to look at, say, you know, the state of Kansas or, you know, states that have had really significant uh, 
tax cuts and are now seeing, you know, having spending problems because of it. I'm sure that, that there you could find examples of, you know, of isolated states that, you know, uh, you know, tax cuts or corrections are a major factor. But when looking at it nationally, that it's just not, uh, it's just not an important factor. That the for the average state uh, uh, corrections is uh, that that's not where higher ed money is going. So you're article is about a decline in state support for higher education and at least implicitly frames that as a problem. Uh, And as someone who works in universities and is thinking about paying for universities for kids at some point, I certainly understand that perspective. But I can imagine some listeners having one of two possible reactions that would sort of call into question whether this is actually something we should be worried about. The first reaction would be, you know, isn't a lot of higher education spending wasteful? We hear stories all the time about schools building fancy student centers, climbing walls, lazy rivers, and the like. You know, why should we be spending more if that's what universities are spending their money on? And then the second possible reaction would be, well, but aren't the students who enroll in college disproportionately from higher income families? And even those who aren't from higher income families, aren't they likely to earn a nice return on their investment in the future? So, you know, why should we be spending a lot of government resources subsidizing an investment that's going to really, you know, go to the affluent? So you say in the article that you're not making a judgment on states' decisions. You've said that here on the podcast, but I'd love to get your perspective on those issues. How concerned should we be about the choices states are making in this environment? So those are, are both really, really good questions. And uh, you know, I'll also say they're really, really nuanced questions that I could, uh, I, I promise I won't, but I could go off for an hour about the, uh, you know, the trade-offs uh, inherent in each one of those. Uh, so for the first question, uh, are, are, you know, isn't some, uh, some of the you know, higher ed expenditures, isn't some of it wasteful? Absolutely some of it's wasteful. And I, I hate wasteful spending. Let me give you a few examples. Um, so you mentioned the, you know, the kind of the, the things that get highlighted, the uh, lazy rivers or climbing walls. Uh, and I do think that's wasteful. Absolutely. Uh, but now... One of the things to really remember, though, is that uh, while while these do get a lot of press, and every time I see something like that, I call it out. I'm, you know, I'm on Twitter and I mention uh, you know wasteful spending. Also, athlete, the, the growth in athletic spending, I hate it. Um, even though I did my undergrad at the University of Florida and I love Gator football, uh, but. But uh, when, when, you know, schools are investing so much more money in, you know, athletic facilities, it, it makes me sick, frankly. Uh, but the, uh, the big point that I want to make is that while these, these are high-profile things and we should pay attention to them, and I think we should, should shame them uh, personally, they're, they're actually, when you look at, uh, how much money they actually cost, and how much uh, you know they actually do add to the cost of college—it's actually very little. Uh, that 
and that's for two reasons. You know, one, these these you know big ticket spending items, when they occur, they typically occur at big public universities that in some sense you can think about them being spread out over many, 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 many students. And again, I think they're wasteful, but when you look at uh, how much it is you know, on a per-student basis, how much they actually cost, it's not usually that much. Uh, but from uh, another point of view, though, they only – most of this wasteful, you know, quote-unquote wasteful spending tends to be at higher-profile universities uh, that, while, you know, they're ones that are in the news more often, uh, they don't represent anywhere near a majority of the people who are actually being educated in, you know, in a, uh, in a public college that, you know, so many people are educated in these, you know, public regional universities that, you know, they're uh, sure it's not the, uh, you know, University of Michigan or Berkeley that, you know, are kind of the, the sexy names that get um, that get mentioned in the news all the time. Uh, but most people are educated at these. I hesitate. I hesitate to use the word lower tier, but you get my meaning. Uh, you know, universities, and most of those schools are not, you know, having these these big ticket spending items. And so, I think that I think it's important to focus on you know on some of these you know some of this wasteful spending. Um, and I because I think it's wasteful, and I think that schools should should do less of it. But the the fact is. When you actually look at the magnitude of it, it's a really small part of you know the, the whole higher ed landscape. And as you note in the article, there is some research to suggest that increased spending per student at the university level you know, does produce better outcomes. Yes, uh, and that uh, and this is specifically spending increases that are that are uh, related. To uh, to state support. So state. So think about uh, you know if you can track the money that comes directly from states and how schools are using it, which is a hard thing to do. But there's a um, I think a good study uh, out by uh, David Deming and Chris Walters uh, that was released last year that kind of tries to do this, and they find that you know spending college, uh, college spending. Uh, which is induced uh, by state spending has a really positive impact on, on student outcomes. And so, whatever you know, you know, this is this is aggregate level data. So we don't exactly, you know, in the data sets we have, we don't exactly exactly know what they're spending it on. But whatever it is they're spending it on, it is helping student outcomes. And so, you know, that is that is an important point. So let's go to the, the second potential objection, which is, regardless of the effects of state spending, look, aren't the beneficiaries of that spending disproportionately from affluent backgrounds or at least well on their way to being affluent in the future? Why is this really a priority for state investment? Sure. Um, and I think it's, it's a very valid question. Uh, so... Uh, First, yes, the 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 cross section.
population of people who go to college, you know, does come, you know, uh, more often from uh, uh, more affluent backgrounds. Uh, now, what I would say, just you know, pushing back on that, that uh, while that may be true, college right now is uh, the the best, and you know, some would say by far the best, uh, you know, engine of upward economic mobility. And so, you know, to give uh, you know. Uh, people coming from a disadvantaged background, you know, much of any chance at all that uh, you know, they need a, a college education. And so uh, you could say, okay, well, maybe some of the benefits are going to people who, you know, don't quote unquote deserve them. Uh, but it's so important to to you know, have these, you know, to help out people from these, you know, lower-income backgrounds, I do think you can make an argument on those, you know, kind of distributional grounds that um, that you know it's that helping them is a very important uh, endeavor. But the other thing that I'd say is that, and I'm going to put on my my economist cap here uh, um, for a second, uh, the uh, the social benefits. Of college tend to be that most every study that's that looked at this, they tend to be very, very large. And I, I said my economist cap because I mean something very specific by social benefits. I, I am not using that word to mean like cultural benefits that, uh, you know, you're uh, helping diversity or something like that. That's important too, but that's not what I mean by social benefit. Uh, when, when an economist says social benefits, they're meaning. Uh, Benefits that are that accrue not just to the private individual, but that accrue to you know society as a whole. External benefits. So, for instance, greater economic growth. That um, there have been uh, you know studies that have found that uh, you know more college-educated work uh, workers, uh, but you know, it, it pr- creates more economic growth. That there are more new jobs, there are more new good jobs, uh, things like innovation, uh, uh, you know, inventions. All of these, you know, have been found to be, you know, really, you know, causally related to, uh, you know, a, a more educated workforce. Even if you don't care about the the uh, you know kind of non-economic benefits. That that a college degree can you know that a, a more educated workforce can bestow on society. Uh, there are many big economic benefits that a a more educated workforce bestows on society. And so you know I think there's a really good argument for uh, you know investment in, in in college just from that perspective. My guest today has been Doug Weber. Associate Professor of Economics at Temple University. You can find his article, Higher Ed, Lower Spending, in the summer 2018 issue of the journal and online now at educationnext.org. Doug, thanks for being part of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Ednext Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or another platform so that you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, be sure to check out our archives where you can find each of the more than 100 episodes we've recorded since 2015. Talk to you next week.